0: I'd like to turn with you to Luke chapter seven, reading verse one to nine. Luke chapter seven, reading from verse one to nine, and it has to do with the centurion who came to Jesus, um, with who wanted his servant to be um, healed. Let's read it from verse one. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A, century there, sorry, a centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. So he's a quite remarkable person. There's something different about him. He's a person who's actually loved by this very uh, uh, um, volatile uh, colony of people called Palestine, which they call Palestine. So he's different. He's a person who has actually loved the people of the people of God, and even built a synagogue for for, for them. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I will not presume to come to you, but only speak the word, and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. And when Jesus heard this he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and he said I tell you not even in Israel have I found such faith and when those who had sent had been sent returned to the house they found the slave in good health it's I'm very sure it's a very familiar passage I have actually read this passage many times and many times I couldn't quite catch the, the connection Between faith and the centurion's understanding of authority. I mean, I understood it in my mind, right? I understood the the paradigm. Okay, if you are a man under authority, you understand authority. You see, you understand how authority works. Therefore, you understand that Jesus has authority over sicknesses and all that, and so you can transfer that parallel concept to Jesus. But it's not enough for me to understand that because faith. It's very powerful. Faith can do more than just arrange your thoughts so that your thoughts make sense and they are aligned. Faith is something else. This faith of the centurion actually healed his slave or his servant. That's different from arranging your mind around things so that you understand authority. Don't you think? I mean, it's not satisfying to me to know that he understood authority. I understand authority, you understand authority. Every day when you drive your car, you understand authority, right? Every time you go go to work, you understand authority, whether legitimate or not, not, not legitimate. You understand authority. But there is something that's going on here for the centurion that is more than a mental understanding of authority. It's more than just a mental paradigm, a mental parallel. There is something about his experience of being under authority that broke a barrier in him so that what issued forth was faith. I wonder whether we need to look closer into this rather than just think, well, this authority, we understand the way authority works. I'm not sure whether what we think about that is really what the scripture is talking about. Because understanding like that doesn't produce miracles. That kind of understanding doesn't, doesn't produce miracles. It is something else that has happened in the very structure of his soul, and structure of his being, his spirit, that has somehow broken apart any kind of carapace or any kind of covering so that faith, authority, power releases to such an extent that at, from a distance, they talk about action at a distance, from a distance, healing took place in that person's life. What was it? We want to be spiritually curious about these things and not just have mental ideas about spiritual things. Because mental ideas about spiritual things are fine, but do they do anything? Do they do anything? We can know a lot of things. BCF is a a, a very well-educated church, if I might, I might, might say so. But does it do anything? And what we saw is the kind of authority that is beyond the concept of authority. The authority that somehow had an effect upon this centurion That made that centurion connect with the live wire of Jesus' power. Aren't you curious? I mean, think about it. That kind of authority, more than just mental stuff, more than just aligning, making it, having it make sense, makes the theology all line up and all that. No, this is not what was going on. What was going on here is that Jesus, at the end of it, says, This man has faith that exceeds the faith of the of the, um, of, the, of the Jews. In fact, if you look at Matthew, Jesus said something even more, um, more um, uh, uh, rebuking. He said, in the last days, people from all other, other countries or other nations will come north, south, east, and west, and they will eat table, and then the people of his own kingdom will be banished from that. What he was saying is that, actually, the people in Israel didn't have faith. They had concepts, but they didn't have faith. He was saying that the gold standard for faith is that things happen. Wow. And what the centurion is doing is saying there's something of that key that it cannot be understood in a facile way. It cannot be just understood just by thinking, oh, I get that. You know, I get authority. Yeah, I'm in the military. Yeah, I know, I know that. I know ranking and I, and I know position. In fact, I would say that the Bible gives us a whole different idea of what's authority from the whole world. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, remember 25 to 27, he says, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, not so with you. Not so with you. You We're talking about not authority that has to do with position. We're talking about authority that has to do with spiritual authority. You may be a person who's completely oppressed at the bottom of the totem pole, but you have more spiritual authority than the person at the top of the positional pole, post. And what the Bible says is this, what we are going for is not that other kind of positional authority. Position, position you know what's position? Position is me in relation to you. Me in relation to other people. My position, my rank, and other people, it's, it's a geographical thing, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ranking thing. And he says, not so you. Not so you. You are not to go for position, in re- the kind of position that has to do with influence with, in relation to other people. You're talking about something that is authentic, it has to do with the, the juice of God. The juice of God. Not the positioning of God, or the theology of God, or the ideas of God, but the, 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 the real juice of God, right? And so he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. That goes your rights. You have to be like everybody else in everybody other, every other country, not just America. You, there it goes. You want, anyone who wants to be great, right? great, greatness, has to be a servant. I don't think he means that you have to serve people. I don't think so. There's a difference between being a servant and serving. When you are a servant, you have no choice. When you serve, you have a choice. In fact, you can always choose to say, okay, I'll stop serving now. I was serving you. I don't need to serve you. I will stop serving you. Servant can't say that. Servant has to say, I have to, whether I like it or not, put on a nice smile. Right? And so what the concept of, uh, of authority is actually very, very different. It has to do with something of God's power. It has to do with something with the power of God that works even when you're in prison. And that is why the church did not emphasize staying out of prison, but going into prison. It didn't emphasize people's rights, even though the the whole Bill of Rights is based on biblical, biblical truth. Don't get me wrong. We're not stupid. But the Bill of Rights is not what the Christian Constitution is all about. It has to do with the fact that you are, are enjoying to be a servant and lose your rights. So much so that when you lose your right, something breaks in you but spiritual goal begins to overflow in you, and what Jesus is saying is that you 've got to choose what you want you've got to choose whether you want you want your rights and your autonomy or your your self directed uh path, or you have the juice of god, the fellowship of god and so I feel that this is something that is uh that was that, that is important. Just from my own personal uh, experience, before I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I was involved in Christian leadership. I was involved in IFES, my church, and all that. But I always found myself feeling very insecure and very easily hurt by people who did not recognize my validity. Always feeling hurt, like, I didn't get chosen for this, I didn't get chosen for that. Why didn't they ask me to pray or ask me to to share or whatever? Is there something wrong with, with me? And I would have endless conversations with people. I was just like your 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 basic belly belly button gazer who's constantly constantly feeling, what's my position with respect to people? What's what's my position? Where am I? Why is this person who's got tons of problems positioned higher higher than me? It's always that. Then the Lord came and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and. What happened is that I just wanted God, right? I just wanted God. I didn't care about anything. I said, "I don't care. Whatever you know, I don't care what you think about me." as long It's have God. Even if nobody sees that the power of God is 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 flowing, it don't matter. Doesn't matter. I don't care if nobody knows about it. But I want to know whether God is with me or not. Okay, so that was really important, and I and I didn't care two hoots whether. People praised me after I was sharing the word or doing things or counseling or doing whatever I was doing in terms of ministry. I had no care. In fact, it seemed so irrelevant what people thought about me, whether people valued me in the church or not. I just didn't, to me, it's not even a category. What are you t- thinking about? You can be you can be recognized and praised and affirmed and all that in the church, and God isn't flowing through you. That's the that's the greater nightmare. Truth. Are we speaking in the same church? Yes. I thought to me, I don't care if I'm not affirmed. I just want to know whether God is there. I just got to know that, and I don't care if anybody knows about it or nobody knows or or if nobody knows about it. I just want that. That is the kind of spirit that a person who's a young Christian has when when he or she comes to church, they don't care about whether whether they are being praised or not. They don't don't care two hoots about these things. And I remember that feeling of utter, utter disappointment after I had preached one of my first few messages and people would come up to me and say, I really enjoyed that, I really enjoyed that. And they would never be able to tell me what God did in their life. I remember going home feeling really depressed about it because I was a spiritual baby. see. I was a spiritual babe. And a baby has hunger for God but does not have assurance of God. I wanted to give my whole life to God as a spiritual babe and I was willing to do anything but I did not have assurance that God was with me. So as a a young babe, that was my emotional state. It was very unstable, very unstable. But uh, (laughs) I remember those days. Things have changed. So I want to put it to you that actually in in, uh, chapter 7, that the centurion is speaking about a life that he has been habituated into, a life that has broken him, has broken into his soul, so that he's not just a military man, but he's a person who has habitually and repeatedly found himself having to submit under the authority of another. It wasn't godly, but it was the practice of breaking the outer person, the outer shield of his own self-respect, his own self-affirmation, his own sense of who he was as well. I'm not saying that that's great training. I'm just saying that there was something that happened to him, that when Jesus was there, he found himself responding to Jesus' words and his power in a way that's actually quite different from many of us. Not mentally, but he knew what it was to meet somebody with spiritual authority and come under him. Come under him. If Jesus would say, go jump in the well and say abracadabra three times, he would have done it. Right? He would, his will, his autonomy, his being would have subjected itself to him. It was, he was bendable. And we saw in the revival in Wales, the most, the touch word was always bend me, bend me, bend me. Now that's really an important thing because the hard thing for us is that most of us, most of them, Christians, are hoping that God can preserve their ego, can preserve the integrity Of their will, their respect, their self-respect, and their freedom to choose. That's why in America, freedom to choose is very, very important. That's not freedom, actually. Freedom is when you go to prison, and God allows you to be freed up from self-regard, that the juices flow. And that is why there's always this breaking thing. I want to talk about this breaking thing because it's, it's, it's not what you necessarily think it is. Some of, you think it's, some, some of you may be thinking, oh no, here we go with VCF. Every five servants, we get one of those negative ones in which i got to suffer and suffer and suffer. I might be crushed. No, I don't think it's quite that. What was happening is this. Jesus wanted to relate to him not on the basis of his mental projections, his mental interpretations, and Jesus speaking so much so that they just bounce and bounce and bounce. He wanted to get into him. And in relationship with him, with God and with one another, there is a way in which in our modern society, our relationships that we so hunger for are often relationships in which my projection of myself meets your projection of yourself and my image of myself that I want to project to you meets your manipulated image of yourself so that when you have a good meeting, you had a successful meeting because you were able to project successfully who you want people to be, to think you are, or to affirm you. And that's, that's what we have. We call this social media. And so we have these personas in which social, in social media media, your mask meets my mask, and, and I work on this so that my mask is portrays exactly what I want my mask to portray so that you will get from behind your mask the exact picture, not of me, but of who I want to successfully portray myself as. Right? Now, that's on the lowest level because we are actually probably around the lowest level right now. <laughs> but in a better, better society... It wasn't that much better because what we do is that we get to know one another mentally. we get to know one men- men- another mentally. But we never really fully understand each other because of the fact, and because of that, we actually have w- ways in which we can see each other only based upon the thoughts and the words that we and the actions that we interpret of one another. And what Jesus wants to do is to cause us to have a, a communion, the difference between communion and communication is that in communion there's a transfer of the innermost, most precious things from one to another. Fellowship is the is the is the transfer of spiritual grace from one to another. I have fellowship with you, even though I may not talk to you. I may fellowship because perhaps God may put in my heart a need that you have, and you may find that in the in the offering plate there was an envelope for you from someone from me or whoever I have communion you have communion with who knew because the Holy Spirit gave you a sense of your needs we sometimes have that when we pray for one another and accurate prophecies and accurate words of knowledge happen but it's more than just being clever spiritually it has to do with heart and so I just wondered whether this is an is it's important that the the society of the old in the New Testament in Anatolia in Egypt in uh, in Syria and all that, understood this. They understood this. They understood that you can never know anything just by cognitive information. So they had what you call mystery religions. These were mystery religions in which you get to experience the fullness of the god or the goddess. And these mysterious, these mystery religions were, 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 were all over the place. And each person would join a mystery religion because that mystery religion has secrets of power. So in in Malaysia, I know many people who are members of secret societies, who are gang members, who have charms and who have uh, talismans and amulets and all that. And they have power. I remember once being in a party and um, some gangsters came around, about 12 of them came, and just disrupted the party, and everybody was really scared, scared in the party. But the host of the party, one of my classmates, had a, uh, had a, um, what do you call a godfather. Chinese godfather, they had tattoos all over. And he called him, and the godfather came to the party, while those 12 guys were there, just one guy, he's about 70 years old. When he came, all the gang members parted, just like that. And then he told them, bring me a knife. So they got a knife. And he said, chop my hand. So they, cut, cut it, cut it, cut it. And I kid you not, because of demonic power in this mystery religion, so to speak, it just healed, just healed. Saw it in front of my eyes. Just healed, just healed, just like that. Of course, all of them ran away very, very quickly, very, very quickly. Mystery religions understood something more than we all understand. We think just by telling people information, reading the newspapers, reading the, 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 whatever is out there, or going to a lecture, we know something. Mystery religions in those days understood you can never know anything beyond, beyond the, the cognitive until you actually break in. There are rituals, there were all kinds of tests and all this, that will cause a breakage in your own will, in your own current understanding of things, so that you can indwell the actual mystery and think and, and and perceive and move in a completely different way than the way you've been doing it. Okay, I'm not going to belabor the point because we are actually uh, at 11.30 already. But you get my point. The mystery religions of those day, days understood that. That's why Jesus talked about the mysterion of the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom. What he's talking about when he talks about the, um, the parable of the, of the seed and the sower and all that, he's talking about not concepts, theological concepts, please. That's not what he's talking about. That's totally third class. Third class train. No, he's talking about the mysteries that cause us to enter into the power thereof. The secrets of, the, of those things. And so, when uh, the, the, the centurion is coming to Jesus, he's understanding that in order for me to understand that, uh, that these things, there must be something on my own un- unbelief, my own faith, my own independent thinking, that has to be changed. I have to commit myself to God, I commit myself to this man, in such a way that whatever he says, I'm going to do it. I don't have a choice. I do not have a choice. I'm not going to serve him. I'm going to be his servant. Which means that if he tells me to go to jail, I go to jail. If he tells me that I have no race, I have no education, I have nothing, I have none. If he if tells me that i'm, I'm going I, even though I wanted to go this way i 'm going to go there, I have a whole different identity, and that identity comes from a whole different born again experience. You know the mystery religions had the idea of born again as well. You have to be born again because you can't do you can't move in the mystery with the, with, the, with the old life you have to be born again, which means you have to die and to enter into it and and and, and somehow the centurion caught it. he was one of the very few who caught it. He understood that. Somehow, he could submit to Jesus and submit to everything that Jesus said subsequent to this event, subsequent to that moment. Amen. All right, let's carry on. Okay, the 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 point has been made. Uh, if it's still difficult, um, come 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 and see me. Okay. Now, um, and Jesus, at the end of that, he says. You know, he was amazed, verse 9, at him and turned to the crowd that followed and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. In John chapter 12, some people came to Jesus or came to the disciples and said, we want to see Jesus. Do you remember that? I've got three ribbons, and they're supposed to tell me where they are. John chapter 12. Okay, I was in John chapter 12. Um, they came to, Jesus, to Philip, actually, and they were from uh, Bethsaida in Galilee, and they were Greeks. So you understand that Greeks are very logical, yeah? Greek signs very, very exact, very, very, very minute. They came to Peter, to, sorry, to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, you don't have to read anything too profound into it. They just say, I to see Jesus, right? But Jesus turns that question around and is looking for something deeper. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And verse 23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it just remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In order for the grain to actually have life, it has to actually be broken on the outside. It has to be broken inside so that it can germinate and bring forth fruit. In every relationship with God and us, understanding only comes when the carapace, the, 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 the shell that's around us is broken. When that is broken, then true knowledge begins to happen. And so what Jesus is saying is you can't see me. You can't see me. Not just casually. Not just in a meeting. Not just in, in such a way that your thought meets my thought that I'm projecting as well. No. In which there is true communion in such a way that that which is of me is imparted to you. We all want that, don't we? If you've decided you want that more than positional authority, then you'll be willing to do anything to get, to get that. It is that that we want, not positional authority. What we don't want is positional authority. What we want is God authority. So we can work the works of God, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, do justice, do true justice—not just conceptualize, not just talk, but actually do the works of God. I want that, and I can't—I I can't care two hoots whether there's any position that's involved in this. And so there's a way in which God actually calls us into this. And by now you are probably realizing that if you really want to come into a relationship with God in a, that kind of way, you will hit a wall. It is the wall that prevents you from entering into the discipline of knowledge of God. It is the wall that you meet when you, you are as a person, I, who I am as a person, my long-held and long-loved thoughts and beliefs and all values and all that are brought up before the bar towards God. And God looks down at that and says, I'm receiving, but you must die to all that. That's what the centurion took with him to see Jesus. Because the centurion is nothing. Remember, a soldier does nothing except to please his superior, right? That means the centurion has no identity. No uniqueness that he is going to use as his identity. No particularities, no human particularities that he uses as marks of his identity. No background, no education, no pedigree that he can use as marks of his identity. No conceptual framework. He says, I'm here to please you. That's what Timothy, 2 Timothy, right? I'm here to please you. And this is where most of us will come to our barrier. And uh, finally, I'm going to just very quickly turn with you to the last passage on that barrier. You ready? Ready? Exodus 17. Exodus 17, it says in Psalm 81 that God revealed himself to the nation of Israel in the the secret place of thunder and in the waters of Meribah, it's how he revealed himself to them. Okay. So we're looking at the waters of Meribah. We look at it from verse 1. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Raphadim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. There was big disappointment because the water was not there. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, and our children and livestock with thirst. And so Moses cried out to the Lord. And the first thing you notice is that in our Christian life, a lot of times in any kind of relationship, whether it's a, ma- a marriage relationship, or it's a commitment to any kind of organization, a church even, we come to the place where we love these things and the children of Israel, it says that they went out of Egypt with a high hand. They had just come out of the Red Sea and all that. They were really rejoicing. And then they come to the next part of their relationship with God, in which God is wanting to relate to them. And they find the water that Moses had led them. Actually, the cloud had led them to, led them to nothing. Can you imagine? Moses had told them that the Holy Spirit will lead us by cloud. So they followed the cloud. Act of faith, right? Have you been into situations where you thought you were following God? And you say, I'm following the cloud. Everybody's laughing at you. All the Egyptians say, "Well, how are you going? You don't know where you're going? I'm following the cloud. I'm making a stand for Jesus because Jesus told me this and I'm doing this radical thing of faith. What are you doing? Following the cloud. (laughs) Following the cloud, what are you talking about? And they follow the cloud. They experience all the, 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 the derision of uh, the Egyptians, and then they come to Rephidim. They know that Rephidim is a place known for underground springs. They know that from the geography books. Okay? And the, and when the cloud took them to Rephidim, or was going towards Rephidim, the children of Israel are saying, I know, God really knows. God really knows. See, he knows our geography as well. We know that Rapidim is going to be a right place. The cloud is going the right way. They come to, to Raphidim and there's no water. And the first thing the children of Israel do is that they say, We want to back out of here. We want to back out. Some of you may be in situations where you want to back out of a way in which God has led you. You've led, you followed God, and at first you were attracted to it. Perhaps you've been attracted to the church or you've been attracted to somebody that somehow God has led you into a relationship with. Or you have, you have married someone in which you were married because you were attracted to that person. There were many good things that you liked about that person. And then the more you find out about that person, the more you realize that that person's a Rephidim. What the heck? Rephidim. I thought I got Jehovah Raphaim, but you got Rephidim. Rephidim is just an empty system, empty, no water there. I'm looking for something and I find Rephidim. And there are many people who never get into communion and to get to really know a person because when they hit Rephidim, they want to, they want to back out. I thought, I thought. And then they, draw, they drew their own conclusions. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with us? And so Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some elders of Israel. And I want to put it to you, if there's any of you who are feeling this. I made a wrong decision. I wanted God. I wanted to join this church. I wanted to, to be in relationship with this particular set of people or this particular person. And it's just terrible. It's just terrible. Many people never go past that because their carapace, you know what's a carapace? It's a, it's a shell of a turtle. Their shell of the turtle hits the other shell of the turtle and they bounce, <laughs> they bounce against each other. And just, There's no way we can do that. They can't merge. They can't get this God thing. And some of us can't understand how some people move in the power of God and others don't. I, they can't understand why is it some people they can have hear from God and others can't. And it's because of the fact that there's, their, their carapace is bumping, that turtle shell is bumping against another turtle shell. And what the centurion is telling us is this, the seed must crack. The seed must crack. And so because of that, you have in any relationship to submit in, in a certain way to that person. Submit to the very thing that the person say saying that seems to be like blah, 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 blah. Have you found that you're talking to somebody and they say the same words, right? And they know you know where they're coming from. I know where you're coming from. Shut up! Blah 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 blah. And you never get to understand your wife. You never get to understand your husband because blah 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 blah. You know what you do? We have a carapace. We have an automatic. We have an automatic mechanism within us when we hear blur. We know cut off. Get off. I know. I have to protect myself. You know, I'm like that. Honestly, sometimes my wife has had to say, you don't listen. Yes. That's because there's something automatically my carrot, my tortoise shell has already said, I know where he's coming from. Blah. I know, blah. And after that word, it's another blah. Blah, 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 blah. And because of that, we never come to any real communion because we already have shielded ourselves from that. We've shielded ourselves from things of church. We've shielded ourselves from things of deeper relationship. We've shielded ourselves from any kind of interaction with another person that will cause us to be feeling less or disadvantaged or slower than that person. Our carapace has caused us some of us, to come into very certain strange kinds of behaviours, we talk a certain way, we talk a certain spirituality, we talk a certain, certain. some people it's kind of soft tones or spiritual, some it's just the kind of staccato, for some it's just blah, blah, blah. Some it's, for some it's just aesthetic stuff, or some it's just big words. For some of us it's just different, but we have this way in which we never find each other, never find God, never find the heart of God, and always interpret from God from the logical feelers that we put out that are based on our own self, on our own framework. As a result of that, we can never go under the skin of God, if you, you don't mind me using being a, um, this uh, uh, a little bit rude on that. They can't get into the heart of God the heart of God, because of the fact that they are protective in their thinking, in their listening and all that. Husbands and wives, same thing. People in church, same thing. You're working together on the same ministry team, same thing. I know you. And sometimes our knowing builds on a misconception that is a mixture of truth as well as misunderstanding. But the end of the product is that because we are fearful people, we actually lump it all as misunderstanding, and it actually carries on. And it builds. It builds that way. And so, what God told Moses, and we're going to finish real soon, is this. You need to walk on ahead of the people. You have to walk on ahead of the blah, blah, blah. You going to walk on ahead of all the thoughts that you have, all the prejudice, and all the voices. I know that sometimes... The voices that are not logical are more powerful than the voices that are logical. When there's spiritual attack, you will have images and scenarios that are put upon you and they are, it is just as logical that these scenarios are the opposite. But because they are from the devil, they pierce, they have the arrow quality, they are like darts, they go in. The truth of God does not go in like that. It doesn't discomfort you. It actually heals you. It releases you. But you must give it permission. You must give it permission. You've got to know that God is a good God. He loves you so much. And He loves you more than you can imagine. So that when you think you're projecting upon God, His love upon upon Himself, you are not. You're not even doing a little bit of it. God is actually much greater than what you just thought you projected upon God is better than your good. Amen? And so I want to tell you that there is a thing that we do that is actually going to be um, developing spiritual power out of us. And that is that we meet together regularly on Sundays. We meet together for prayer. We meet together for Bible study. And we meet together to get to know one another as well as get to know God. Sometimes when we meet together, it's very boring. It's incredibly boring. Sometimes it all comes from here, whoever is there. (laughs) And you're going to have to keep coming because the discipline of repeated, habitual being there for God, not just coming with your body, but being there and open, is important for God to break the, the shell and come in. And that is why I'm interested in people not just coming for prayer meeting, but to join prayer and to become, make that a part of your, your, your life so that beyond all that is said, beyond all that is done, your spirit, your soul begins to be habituated to it and it begins to be formed by more than what you consciously know. And as, as, you, do, as you do that, prayer comes into you. Not just words of prayer, but the spirit of prayer. I don't know of any way where God can actually take us into the depths of Him except by imprisoning yourself in a particular regimen in which you are repeatedly coming before God until something soaks in, whether by osmosis or by Holy, and definitely by Holy Spirit work. So much so that after a while, you find yourself in God. It is so interesting that in the, in the, New, in the New Testament, there's this phrase that's always there. Then be found in Him. It's almost as if I didn't know, willy-nilly, really, really, I, found, I found myself in Him. I found myself like moving the power of God. I found myself finding all these revelations coming in my mind. I'm thinking exactly the same way. My mind, I'm not thinking a different way. It's just coming. To be found in me. Found in Him. I want to put it to you that the place in which we relate together in experience is in the place of prayer. It's in the place of prayer. If I can talk to you a million times, I can get to know you a little bit. but when I pray with you over a period of time, a million times maybe, then i will we will we will find ourselves relating in such a way that even when no words are said, it just happens things supernatural things happen there's it's prayer it's coming to church on Sunday, coming on time giving giving God honor, respecting God. We live in a society in which everybody is equal, including God with us. So what we, have, what we have is a society that's based upon non-infringement of rights. But nobody asks, who do, who do we come under? No, who do we come under? So that uh, a lot of times, as church or as, 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 uh, as clubs or societies are, We are a mutual benefit society. The mutuality is good. But if you want spiritual authority, then you come under God's authority, you submit under it, then the authority of God flows through you. When we are casting out demons, we are very, very careful to not have anybody who's in the team who's rebellious or who's not connected, who hasn't come under the authority of the church. Because when they try to do that, they may have some authority in themselves but they can never be safe because it's only when you come under the authority of God that the authority of God flows through you and it doesn't draw attention to yourself. Amen? I want to invite you to join VCF. Okay, join, join, join the church, in not, not just by coming and sitting, but join in the very vital things that have to do with the life of church because it is in these vital things that more than talking has to happen. There needs to be a break, and that happens. I've seen in my own life it's a lot of times in my own former church. I find that I begin to imbibe a lot of things that my brothers and sisters, my pastor, my uh, leaders, and all that have. Something just gets rubbed off. From that. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are holy and not like us the authority is beautiful and gives us liberty then force us you don't make us all the same we recognize that in this dehumanizing society that we have the pressure to be like everybody else is so great but we don't want to We don't want to become individualistic either. We recognize that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so we invite you, Lord, to come. We are in need of the doctor. We are in need of you, Lord. We've built up so much callous carapaces that we can't even break it ourselves. And so we ask you even now, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. We submit our lives to you. We submit our wills, our identities to you. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you, Lord hallelujah if god 's been speaking to you, just lift up your hands and just surrender to him i 'm surrendering to you, Lord, not as an equal, but as my potentate, my king and my Lord, my Lord and my God. I am nothing, nothing in my hands do I bring, no uniqueness, no special qualities. But I submit to you and I invite you to come and make your abode with me. There are some of us who have never known the reality of God. You haven't figured it out yet. But the Lord is loving you, just like the mother hen that we heard about. How much I have longed to gather you under my wings, but you would not. Because you have a will. You have being. And your disease as well. But I want to drag, gather you under my wings. As a mother hand would do. As a mother ego would. Sometimes it's going to be boring. And that's only because of the fact that you can't feel the deep work of the Holy Spirit going. Some of us have been prejudicial about people about other people, people who are unlike you. And I invite you to repent of it and just give it back to God and say, Lord, I push that aside. I want to be part of your church, Lord. I want to be one that can be fitted together and move in the mute beautiful things that you are going to be doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.